Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and today we have Mr. Jamie Wheel. Jamie is an incredibly knowledgeable uh, individual who wrote a book called Stealing Fire, how Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick scientists are revolutionizing the way we live and work. It's a book I read and was just really moved by because, like many, many of you, I am very interested in finding those states of, uh, of, of flow, those states beyond the monkey mind, if you will. And, uh, you know, I practice meditation and a variety of other uh, state-inducing practices. But I really go deep with Jamie about what are some of the things that we can both bring into our life as well as eliminate from our life so as to bring about a greater state of flow. He also goes into some really valuable distinctions um, around growth mindset um, and the notion of how our mindset impacts our life and just an all-around incredible conversation. I'm really excited to share it with you. I'd also like to take a moment to thank the folks that are making this episode possible uh, for Sigmatic which is one of my favorite companies. Uh, I drink their product pretty much every day. They have uh, mushroom-infused coffees. And what I love about it is that, one, it's organic. A lot of conventional coffee is unfortunately laden with mold and mycotoxins. Um, And two, that it's combined with lion's mane, which is is a cognitive-enhancing mushroom. It was actually used by monks, to, uh, to help them get into flow state. So I really love Four Sigmatic. It's one of my favorite brands. I approached them when I was launching the podcast and they were gracious enough to agree to su- support us and enable these episodes to happen. So highly recommend, recommend you check out Four Sigmatic. It's www.foursigmatic.com and you can put in foursigmatic.com backslash peak for 15% off. This episode is also brought to you by Organifi. Organifi is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And they produce some of my favorite proteins and other supplements that I use to get myself into flow state. They have a BDNF uh, lemonade. They have an incredible red and green juice. And they have an incredible full protein organic meal supplement, which I use after my workouts. Um, I oftentimes uh, combine some of the ingredients into a nutrient-rich smoothie, which I'll take uh, either before or after a workout to get all the vital nutrients I need. And it's a, it's a really amazing product with a lot of integrity, and I love the quality of the ingredients. Check them out, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and you can put in Peak Mind at checkout for 20% off. I hope uh, that you are doing well. I hope that you find this episode uh, inspiring. If you do, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening. Um, Positive reviews help us move up in the algorithm and and helps the message get out far and wide. And if you have any feedback, as always, you can hit me up at michael at peakmind.org. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Jamie Wheel. Jamie, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, we met briefly uh, through I think mutual friends at Summit. 
and had one of the more epic phone conversations I've I've had in in the last year at least for sure. Yeah. And uh, I was thrilled to see you here at the uh, Superhero Brain Conference and uh, enjoyed your talk. And oh, I'm excited you. to uh, to connect. Yeah, absolutely. So. We're going to be in, in the spirit, no pun intended, but we're going to be in flow. Um, could you tell me, first of all, just start off by talking a little bit about what you're up to with the Flow Genome Project? Sure. So we are basically uh, leading the charge on the research and training of peak performance states. And we work with you know, a diverse variety of high-performing organizations from Google to Red Bull to the Navy SEALs, as well as with regular folks. And the intention is to demystify what it means to get into the zone or get into flow states uh, and l make that much more accessible to people, both for just quality of life and enjoyment and then also for mission-critical things they need to do. Can you describe, I mean, I think we've all, many of us at least, have been fortunate enough to have experiences of flow, mm -hmm. uh, whether or not we are in our analytical mind enough to recognize it. I think after the fact, yeah. you know, you have a sense of it. But can you just give a description of what flow is? Sure. So the simplest is just to say flow is a, is a state of consciousness where you feel and perform your best. And we've all had those experiences, whether we have them a name. Most of us don't have a name for it. But it's those moments where we lose ourselves in the moment, we lose ourselves in the actual action or the doing, and we're just not thinking about things. And what not thinking about things is we're not, we don't have an inner critic. Not thinking about things is I'm not thinking about the past or the future. I'm deeply connected into this present moment. And typically when those two things happen, it's so awesome. It feels such a relief from the way we normally live our lives that we can't wait to do it again and again. And so those three things showing up of selflessness, right? No, no inner critic and normal voice. Timelessness, I'm not in the past, I'm not in the future, I'm only in the now, and effortlessness lead to richness. They lead to information richness, which means we suddenly have access, we're paying a lot more attention to everything that's happening around us and we're making sharper, crisper connections. And that information is arguably the point. It's kind of, the, it's, it's the reason why those states are so valuable. Mm. I'm, I, it brings to mind as you talk about it, actually, I think about some, someone like Kelly Slater catching a barrel or, yeah. or Michael Jordan, who I grew up with, um, yeah. you know, when he would just hit the zone and he couldn't miss a shot. Yep. Um, so I think a lot of us are familiar with sort of athletes tapping in or, you know, at least in my mind's eye, you know, a Shaolin monk uh, uh -huh. being able to train to, to, to access it. Um, but for, for everyday people, what are the ways in which you found through your sort of experimentation research, what are the ways that everyday people can um, access flow? Sure. So the simplest, I mean, and, and the baselines are not actually magic bullets sexy. Uh, they're really straightforward, which is sleep more. Sleep more thoroughly, sleep more deeply. Um, hydrate and fuel our bodies with the cleanest food and water you can get your mitts on. Uh, and move more often. So fundamentally, the term we use for it, the term research is used for it, is embodied cognition, which is that we're not just heads on sticks. Uh, that we're, our brain, we have more neurons in our heart and our guts than we do in our brains alone. And that when you integrate all of those, you get much higher cognitive performance and overall well-being. And so the fundamentals are, you know, eat, rest, move, and then the, the, the kicker is and breathe. 
and you know, powerful respiration, not just remember to. Uh, most of us are, have very poor air exchange, meaning that we breathe up in our rib cage. When we get nervous, it comes up even higher. As we do that, we don't exchange oxygen well. You get carbon dioxide pooling in the bottom third of your lungs, and what does that tell your brain? Is you know, brains live on oxygen, and it gives us scarcity. It says this, this is a fight or flight situation. So one of the simplest and most powerful ways to shift your, shift your state of awareness and put you closer to flow states is self-aware breathing, meaning I know what kind of breathing I'm doing at what time. And it's not always just relaxed belly breathing like you might learn in yoga class, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is how we were when we were babies and this is what you should do. Sure. That's one, and that's awesome for when it's awesome. But then for power lifting or sprinting, and you see athletes use harnessing focus breath, there are, there are dozens of different breathing styles, rates, and rhythms, and each one of them changes the pH in our bloodstream changes the oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide mix in our, in our airstream and radically shifts our state of consciousness. So as far as cheap, portable, and wildly effective uh, control of our respiration is hands down uh, the best thing to learn and invest time in. Yeah, I've been, I've been looking at this a bit myself. And so mm-hmm. I saw, I, I was looking at actually old Olympic clips and seeing uh-huh. kind of the, both the creative visualization, but also just this very unique breath patterning, right? So like, yeah. Different, as you said, from what I'll do when I'm meditating, right? Uh-huh. Uh, or like a pranayama. Like actually, like it was a very articulated form of, of, of a more sort of assertive breath. And, yeah. and literally, they would be visualizing, uh, particularly it was a bobsled uh, uh-huh. team. Yeah. And they were it was them literally getting into state through their breath, which was yeah. much more rapid pace. And you could see them literally their head moving as they visualized the course. Sure. And so I was thinking about that that form of, of state-inducing. And then it also evoked in me that uh, this Wim Hof, who I had just yeah. watched uh, a film about, who can evidently swim for several minutes under ice-cold water based <laughs> on his breath. Um, I'm sure you're more familiar with, with his work, and it's, it's, it may be very analogous to yours, but can you tell us a little bit about how that state is induced and any sure. kind of insights you can garner from it? Yeah, and actually my partner, Stephen Kotler, was just out with Vim and led Hamilton uh, wow. in Malibu a few months ago, and Incredible. those guys are going way down the rabbit hole to yeah. the point where they are doing in the ocean very deep, focused, high-intensity breath before catching a big wave. And they're claiming that the states they're inducing are comparable to tryptamine-level consciousness from breath patterns alone and then going and surfing big waves in that state. So, yeah, they are, they are absolute balls out um, in, in that realm. Oh, wow. So, one, you know, to, to how does this work? Uh, I always think of uh, Galileo, right, famously went into the clockmaker's shop and noticed that all of the smaller clocks all became synchronized with the biggest pendulum in the shop. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what the hell's going on here? Right? So you've got sort of the largest, the largest pendulum, every, all others in the space cue off. And in a lot of ways, what respiration and respiratory control does is it's the, it's the biggest pendulum. So because it's affecting literally the gaseous mix of the air we're breathing and what our brain and our heart are juicing off, that then has a cascade of, of follow-on effects. So it affects our brain waves. It affects our vagal nerve tone. It affects our cardiac coherence. It affects our endocrine profile. Are we pumping stress hormones or more relaxed feel-good hormones? So you get a cascade of whole body brain effects that are all trackable and measurable. It's just it's the easiest way to influence a whole bunch of them at once. And that's part of the reason why respiration is so potent. 
So uh, there's, there's an, actually an interesting question that was asked of me, and I, I want to actually ask it in this particular context of, okay. of, of state, um, which is if there was one thing that you were to add to your life and one thing that you were to take away okay. that would have the most transformative impact, what would it be? And, and I, you could ask that, obviously, in a generalized sense. But if someone were looking to induce state, like mm-hmm. say you're in a, a place of acute stress, anxiety, or depression, or, mm-hmm. or you're, you're just looking to enhance your, you, you know, shift your perspective slash enhance your performance, right? So yep. what would be one thing that you think would have the most profound impact in being able to induce that state sh- shift? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of adding, and, and is there anything that you would want to take away in terms of thought patterning, behaviors, uh-huh. et cetera? And, and for me personally or for folks in general? I think folks in general and okay. then for you personally. Okay. Uh, so I think, again, given low-tech portable, can people actually do it? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the simplest would be three minutes on waking and three minutes before going to sleep of, at a minimum, deep focused breathing with explicit gratitude and reflection. Um, if you have the ability to download an app and use a heart rate variability monitor, and there's apps where you can just put your finger over the phone, mm-hmm. over, the, over the camera, um, so you could just even having a little bit of biofeedback so I actually know what's happening, that's helpful, but not necessary. But just coming out of sleep and going into sleep in as coherent and relaxed way possible is really helpful. And gratitude, the simplest thing about gratitude, people come at it from a, relational or spiritual point of view, they say, oh, it's just nice to be grateful and we ought to and loving kindness and those kind of things. But there's just straight up neuroscience behind yeah. what happens when I think of and focus on gratitude. And you can be the most Machiavellian son of a bitch in the world and go, oh, it actually benefits me <laughs> to practice gratitude. <laughs> Done. Yes. Because, because it creates new neural networks. It shifts, again, it shifts our endocrine profile and decreases stress hormones. It, it does a whole lot of beneficial things. And the other thing it does is it the act of being grateful for the world as it's happening um, allows us to spend more time in the present moment. Because typically the only reason we get kicked out of the present moment is I would prefer a past, a more perfect past, or a fantastic future that hasn't happened yet or I want to get back to. Right? Sure. There's a preference. And the moment we can practice gratitude, like um, George Leonard, right? the, the co- one of the co-founders of Esalen, he was an Aikido uh, master as well, had a great line. He said, take the hit as a gift. Mm. So you can always learn as a practice, take the hit as a gift. Don't bitch and moan, don't piss about it, just take the hit as a gift. And gratitude is an actually very tough love practice when you get to that level. You're like, okay, I'm going to take that hit, and how can I express true appreciation for that moment? Yeah, and that's transformative. Obstacles is opportunity. So like, yeah. I've heard it articulated several ways, but I love that. Yeah. I mean, it is truly transformative. It's very hard to stay angry or stressed if you're in an acute state of gratitude. And in fact, yeah. I, don't, I don't actually know if it's possible. Yeah, and baby steps, right? I mean, yeah. we just say three minutes, because I mean, uh, people get jacked out of deep sleep by alarm clocks. Mm-hmm. We go stumbling into the shower, wake ourselves up, pump ourselves full of coffee and grab a burrito and jump in the car. Right. Like that just destroys transitional space. So just three minutes, slow breathing and reflecting on what we're grateful for. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be like unicorns and rainbows. It can just be, I am going to conduct the exercise and build those muscles. Mm. Yeah. And what about taking away? I mean, so, you know, one of the things I've been exploring, at least in the morning with my morning routine is, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a muscle that I've built up, unfortunately, with the phone, right? So it's like going to the <laughs> yeah. phone, whether it be social media, yeah. email, of course, all the, all the myriad of things that you can get, distract yourself with. Yeah. But I find... 
at least for me, when I take that away for the first two, three, two hours of my day, mm-hmm. it makes marked improvements on how everything proceeds from there on forward. I mean, yeah. do you, is there anything that you really recommend sort of reducing in the essentialist context? Yeah, and certainly like tips like that. I'm yeah. just keeping your phone at a minimum in airplane mode only when it enters, when it crosses the threshold of your bedroom, hugely helpful uh, and can interrupt a lot of shitty habits. Um, but I think you know potentially one that you know may not be on everybody else's top ten list would just be, it's like cognitive behavioral therapy light, which is don't think anything or say anything that you don't want to be more true. Hmm. So what you appreciate. I've heard it said, what you appreciate, appreciates. Yeah, for sure. But also, like, in, and in reverse, because we ruminate a lot. Sure. And we can beat the hell out of ourselves and other people a I'm lot. Guilty of that, yeah. Right? We all are. I mean, and anybody who's seeking to achieve has probably learned a default, a deficit model. Mm-hmm. Right? Gap analysis. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you close the gap, close the gap. And so we're constantly fixating on the negative. But don't think it or say it if you don't want it to be more true. It, for me, at least, has been a really helpful pattern interrupt. And, it, and over at first, it's I'm unconscious. I interrupt the pattern. I catch myself, and I have to steer to something more positive. And then it's more or less most of the time, and then it's only occasionally I get hijacked, and that's very much that's one of the most game-changing habits because then you get very kind of like Yoda about stuff without having to go all cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So what? And what about for you personally? So the biggest, the biggest ad and then the biggest takeaway yeah. to increase more peak experiences in my life. So the biggest ad would be six weeks next to a good kite surf break and six weeks with access to deep light snow. So mm-hmm. just those two, game changing for my quality of life uh, and everything else. And I'm working, working hard in that direction. Yeah. Um, and then take away, I think take away I read something like last week. It said, if you're over 25 and you've still got weak spots in your game, you're always going to have them. (laughs) Get over it and hire to cover it. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, of course, right? Of course. So um, I would love to be able to just outsource all things, bullshit administrative and financial, and just say, let me do the things I love and I'm drawn to, and let me offload that once and for all. I'm going to take that on. <laughs> uh, I'd love to be your accountability partner on that one. I could, yeah. That would definitely revolutionize my life for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, well, tell me a little bit more about, I mean, I know a little, when we talked on the phone, you were, you were talking, and I don't know what, to what degree you can share, but about you know, some physical space uh-huh. uh, that, you're, that you're working on in yeah. terms of actually helping to measure and offer opportunities for people to tap into flow state. Um, sure. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's called the Flow Dojo, and it's basically our solution to a whole host of problems around you know, peak performance, which is everybody gets inspired, and then everybody says, well, I'd like more of that, and how do I begin? And when all you've got is sort of top 10 lists or PDF handouts, it's really hard for all of us to create all of the positive conditions in our life from scratch, um, and wildly inefficient. So we thought, well, what would it be like if we create a research and training center that is, it's basically you can, you can picture a series of giant geodesic domes uh, that sort of an inside is, you know, equal parts X Games meets Cirque du Soleil uh, with a sort of layer of quantified self. So smart sensors, biotech, giant extreme playground equipment, mats, pads, bungees, everything to let people 
basically recreate the inputs and sensations that usually elite athletes have. And those have some been some of the, the clients we've worked with in our study group and also our own personal passions. And instead of saying, well, I can't do that, right? I, I, could, I could pay a ticket to go to watch a circus show, but I would never be able to do those things. We're saying, let's let you do those things safely. Let's connect you with biosensors and brain feedback. And then let's you train and condition your bodies and brains in really fun-ass ways, I mean, ways that really don't even count as working, mm. but uh, are allowing us to sort of upgrade our nervous systems uh, and our circuitry yeah. to be able to hold more stably. I, I love that, and I can't wait to experience this dojo. Mm. I, I have a, what, evokes, what that evokes in me is, is sort of the Malcolm Gladwell, and a, a question really uh-huh. around that sort of 10,000 hours, yeah. which is, in the in the in the elite athletes that you've worked with, mm-hmm. and, and and the everyday folks you work with, um, is there a predominant quality that you see that's pervasive in those mm-hmm. that are able to ex- ex- accelerate their um, their their access to flow state? Yeah. So, is there is there an underlying quality? In other words. I think many people would ask, is it something, some people just have more innate capabilities, uh-huh. right? They're just born with it. Like, uh-huh. you know, I can't be Michael Jordan. You know, yeah, maybe yeah, I can yeah, get better sure. at shooting a jump shot, but I'm not Michael Jordan. Yeah. That said, there's also the sort of Malcolm Gladwell where it's argument where it's like you put in your 10,000 hours, you're mm-hmm. patterning new grooves, mm-hmm. right? You're creating those new grooves and there, there is, you know, demonstrated results that you can create, you know, neuroplasticity continues uh-huh. on throughout your life. Yeah, yeah. Can you actually create these more sort of super states, what would be considered superhuman for you in uh-huh. this moment? Yeah. Um, throughout your life. And yeah. and are and are these states sort of accessible to 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 everyone, or is there yeah. an inherent sort of limitation? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the short answer is yes, they are super-duper accessible uh, to all of us, and it's really just knowing the skeleton key for the lock. And there's a, there's a stack. I mean, it's obviously infinitely subtle, um, but one of the first is mindset. Uh, do I come from a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? So basically, do I think that my performance or success in any activity is attributable to my fundamental character, who I am, or is it a result of my effort, process, and work? Um, and Carol Dweck at Stanford has done lots of research with this, did, even did it with Formula One drivers, and, and tested them on what mindset did the drivers show up in. That correlated directly to how much flow they were able to get into. Because obviously it makes sense. If you have a setback and you instantly go into negative self-talk or you're instantly projecting and getting pissed off, you're not going to, you know, flow could be all around you, you'll miss it. Right. So the growth mindset folks were like, oh, I'm bumping wheels with a guy, or oh, I, you know, I'll get on the next turn, something like that, were more likely to find more flow and their race results correlated at the end of the season. So growth mindset had more flow, had more wins. Quick recovery as well, and, and not, seeing, recovery. not being uh, thrown by failure. Yeah, it's that old like, Chinese parable of like good luck, bad luck, who knows? Like all the crazy things happen to the farmer in each time. He's like, mm, who knows? And it's always just the play out of time. Right? If we want to stop the clock and say, I'd like to suffer here and just grind gears because I've got a poor me story to tell, I'm going to milk it. Victim mentality. Right? That we can do that. Or you can just say, play a longer game, mm. return to breath, don't flinch, and we'll get further faster. Um, and so as far as other, other key success factors, um, I think the elite athletes and elite military guys have a totally different issue than the rest of us. Most folks, 80% of the population, need to learn to struggle harder. 
when people come just like, oh, flow, it sounds so groovy, awesome, never, never have to struggle again. You're like, no, no, no. Actually, <laughs> like, always do the hard thing. Yeah. Always do the hard thing, and then you will have more flow. I mean, we're, we're sort of crypto-stoics when it comes to that, right? The obstacle is the way. Mm. If, if you do that, you're always leaning into the hardest thing, then you have access to more flow. Now, elite, elite folks, it's actually the opposite. So most people need a, kick, a loving kick in the ass mm. to struggle harder. Um, the total type A hard chargers need to actually know when to back off and recover more deeply. Interesting. So it's almost the opposite for those guys. Fascinating. Yeah. Any other any other sort of insights that you can share in regards to mindset or, or some of the things that you've seen? Yeah, I would say I would say um, the first is we we have to retrain our muscle memory that I always have to be up, vigilant, and behind my eyes, making meaning. Um, because we have these moments where maybe we're just focusing on our breath. Maybe I'm just feeling good all over. Maybe I'm lost in the moment. But our reflex, our knee jerk, is almost always to go back to me behind my eyes telling stories. And so retraining that, and retraining that from like my ego being my operating system, mm. it's just running the show, to ego is my user interface. It's just the, it's just the apps on my dashboard. Of like, how's my brain activity? How's my heart state? How's my posture? How's my vitality? How's my rest? All these things, instead of back to good luck, bad luck, who knows, residing in the space in between the answer to that question mm. and really just monitoring. And so it it's, gets you to a really similar place as a lot of contemplative traditions and all that kind of stuff without the tar baby of I'm trying to get rid of myself by using myself to get, you know, and because that's sticky. You know, a lot of meditation is like, God damn it, how can I not think about thinking? It's what keeps me, most people from c- continuing oh. to meditate. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> mind-bending, yeah. right? And probably not optimally tuned for Westerners, right? Because we have such strongly enculturated egos. I mean, I did, I did some research in grad school on, on Native American vision quest pre- and post-Columbian contact. Mm-hmm. And the hypothesis was at least that, you know, before Europeans, ego constructs and identities in indigenous populations were far more fluid. Mm. So you could spend four days fasting in a circle of rocks and high likelihood of having a, a, a visit from great spirit and a true vision because the world was sanctified. It was sacred. Mm. By the time you got late 19th century decimation of populations, corralling everybody to reservations and those kind of things, they needed the peyote of the Native American church right, to overcome right, a lot of the, the firewalls and barriers that you know, post-enlightenment, Western, rational, egoic, culture and, and, and memes had instilled, right? So the, the better we get, um, the better we get at breaking through from those states without having to think about our thinking, um, the more fluid we can be. And so and at first, we spend any time not here, there's a panic movement. Mm. And we just jack back up and like, damn it, where was that cool experience I was just having gone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? As soon as you start to dwell on it, yeah. Yeah, and so and if we just try and have, not, have our ego do nothing, it's mischievous and wants to mess things up. So I think it's just like occupy it. Give it right. something to do. Be the dashboard. And, and when it's the dashboard, then I, if I'm feeling sad, I'm like, okay, now I have a choice. I can kick back up into my story about why I'm sad and the first person or plausible plot device, I'll puke onto someone else yes. and animate that game. Right? <laughs> or I can just be, hmm, sadness. Check vitamin D deficiencies. Get more UV sunlight. Increase heart rate. Move more. Right? And, and do those things. Yeah. And then my mind movie is different. And I haven't had to engage, you know, psychological narrative. Well, I think one thing that came up for me as you, as you shared is, 
it, just that, you know, oftentimes for me, when I started doing, I lived in Sri Lanka for a couple of years okay. and, and studied uh, actually with an, an Ayurvedic practitioner. Okay. And I, it's, in studying Vipassana, just like you said, my ego had been I mean, cultivated from yeah. when we we're very, very young, right? Yeah. So um, hard, it was harder for me to quiet the mind than when mm-hmm. I was first introduced to yoga, which made sense. Now I understood that yoga is oftentimes a precursor to meditation. Okay. Being in the body, being in my body was more, it was easier for me to access those meditative states because I had something to focus on other yes. than me yes. just trying, you Oh know? my God. Yeah. So I, I totally understand that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, experientially. Um, and it's also interesting because I just did a, a, a refresh of, of a deep sort of uh, Vedic training for, for meditation. And what, what, what the teacher was postulating, which I hadn't heard before, was actually many people presume that thinking, like trying to quiet, turn off your brain, mm-hmm. is meditation. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, that isn't meditation. It's about training the muscle of your brain to create more space between. Like you're mm-hmm. saying, in a way, basically being able to tap out of the operating system driving you and you driving the os so to speak and and actually that the thoughts were were and this is sort of the deep level philosophy you got into but the thoughts were in some ways if your brain is an iceberg and most of the thing our thoughts are subconscious the 95 percent that's underneath the water yeah those thoughts are actually a releasing of stressing. He calls it a de-stressing process. So okay. it's actually, in nice. some ways, you're you're letting the bubbles up of those subconscious thoughts uh, <laughs> during the process. And so, yeah. for me at least, that was a liberating thing to say. Okay, well, I can continue to sit. Yeah. Ideally, after a physical practice, right, yeah, yeah, where yeah. I've actually prepared my body to yep. separate from the OS, and in doing so, it allows me to access a deeper state of just like that breathing oriented yeah. meditation. Absolutely. Um, but have you found in, 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 in what you're up to, and, and I know you work with some of the, the, the top, you know, the peak minds of our time. Mm-hmm. Have you found any, uh, hesitate to use the word, but hacks that people use mm-hmm. to really, you know, go about their day to help not have their OS sort of drive them to, to tap back into the place where they are more effectively driving uh, the ship, so to speak, to be at cause and not at effect. Yeah, I mean, I think you know some of them are you know back back to what we talked about already, which is like pay attention to your vitality. Like you cannot be um, you're going to be in a fight or flight situation if your if your just energy level gets too low. And what you know, so pay attention to your energy level in aggregate, and that's everything from sleep, diet, rest, physical health, to quality of relationships, to engagement with work and life. I mean, there's no skipping steps. But if you just think of it um, almost like one of those rain gauges in the backyard, you know, where it's like one inch, two inch, three inches. If you're below three inches, everything's going to suck. And you just need to focus on whichever lever you have easiest access to to get your total water column as high as possible. And then it's that whole, you know, you don't ever find the answer to the universe. You just stop asking the question. Right, and, and there's that there's that certain kind of quietness. There's another uh, phrase. Bob Keegan at Harvard, he's chair of their adult psych department, he has a beautiful phrase. He says, "We go from having problems we try to solve to problems that solve us." You know, and 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 that kind of relationship with paradox, that kind of relationship with the struggles of life, versus just saying, and like Pema Chodron, I don't know if you know Pema's stuff, right? Of course, right? when things right. fall apart. Yeah, beautiful. And so, yeah. so she she said. Um, Something, there's something almost aggressive about trying to smooth out all the bumps and imperfections in life. Mm. You know? so, so for me, I gain the most like, comfort. I just feel grounded in. Instead of like, trying to scale the highest heights, being like, let's actually reconcile right, the human experience with like, actually what it is, lumps, bumps and all, um, with also staying present and connected. You know, that to me feels much more durable than some 
you know, blue sky, everything's going to be perfect when. Yes. Because I think there's been an awful lot of grief caused over time. Uh, whether that's by, you know, cults and commies and gurus and you name it, right? The, the, the subjugation of what's here and now sure. um, feels, feels maybe a barking up a wrong tree. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well said. So what are, you, what are you excited about right now in your life? Well, uh, my partner Stephen and I are finishing the manuscript on a new book called Stealing Fire, which is basically tracking the sort of underground revolution right now in access to all of these altered states. Uh, so everything from the guys in the, na- in the Navy to what's happening in Silicon Valley to Burning Man to the neurobiologist to the technology to all of these things that are happening right now. And no one is sort of integrating, or at least no one that we've seen is putting together all the stories. They're all in, in silos. So there's stories about meditation and contemplation. There's stories about the psychedelic research renaissance. There's stories about flow states. There's all, but, but no one's saying, well, actually, under the hood, the neurobiological mechanisms are virtually identical, and this is actually part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, as soon as we did that, we, did, we worked with some economists, and we said, well, how much of our economy do we think? We call it the altered states economy. How much time and money do we think people are spending trying to get out of their waking selves? And, and we were conservative. I mean, any time we could take a smaller subset and, you know, and just do that versus some conjectural one, we did it. And we looked at everything from licit and illicit drugs to recreation and entertainment to sports to psychology, self-help, all of these kind of things. And it was $9 trillion. It's, it, yeah, it, it's bigger than the GDP of Germany or Brazil. It's more than we spend on healthcare, education, child welfare. We practically tithe to the church of the ecstatic. And, wow. and, and most of it is dysfunctional and misdirected, mm. right? But we, that is how much we are plunking down on an annual basis to get out of ourselves. When you say dysfunctional and misdirected, give me an example of that. Gambling, gambling. porn, yeah. you know, th- things that are clearly, clearly not, I mean, you, people don't go to Vegas to get rich. Mm. Right, and you don't watch porn to procreate. So the actual right, so, so you, yeah. they are clearly state shifting devices, right? And you think about how much time, effort, and energy is spent in the and, and, the, and you to say nothing of. I mean, you know, prescription painkillers kill more people than car accidents these days. You know, all those kinds of things where you're like, oh, this is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. That this is what we're doing to ourselves because being in ourselves is so agonizing. Wow, you know. What have what are some what are some of the insights that you that you've seen in, in your research? I mean, is there profound? I mean, to me, I'm, I'm, I start thinking about different cultures and like yeah. ways in which. I mean, one of the things that struck me coming from a place like Sri Lanka was you talk about relationships and <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and you know time used to be measured by the rising and setting of the sun, you yeah. know, and and now it's measured in tweets and, and yeah. Instagram posts, and you know we're so. It, yeah. our, our, our most of our physiologically physiology evolved uh, over a very long period of time, but the yeah. modern world is presenting us with very new inputs, yes. so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I imagine some of the dysfunctional aspects are 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 ways of attempting to deal with that yes. that onslaught of inputs. Yeah. Is there any like ama- amazing kind of insights that you've seen in doing the research into mm-hmm. like how the you know all these conversations that are happening, or mm-hmm. maybe not conversations, I should say, experiences that are happening, whether yeah. they be drug states, meditations, mm-hmm. um, these these ways to induce altered states of consciousness. Yeah. Um, is there any insights that you've seen in, in doing your research that has really kind of blown you away? 
Yeah, and, I, and I'd say that kind of goes back to your earlier question, which was, was were there any insights from the top performers, yeah. right? And so in, I think the simplest is, is that um, experiences of ecstasis, which is just to go back to the ancient Greek, which is ecstasis, just meant to step out of oneself. And the idea is that any experience that we can reliably and safely reproduce that provides ecstasis is generally speaking healthy and significantly beneficial. So Willoughby Britton at Brown University did studies on people who experienced near-death experiences, right? So obviously a small and uncontrolled population, you don't go out recreating near-death experiences, but the people who had had them um, found themselves going into REM sleep at 120 minutes. And depressed people go into REM sleep as early as 60 minutes, and, and generally content people are at 90 to 100 minutes. So by measuring how long it takes you to get into a REM cycle, you can predict six months ahead of it actually happening whether you'll have a, 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 be depressed or be happy. People who had had one near-death experience were off the charts for overall well-being. So then, uh, then at Hopkins, they did studies. They're like, okay, well, that's obviously ethically. We can't go around recreating this experiment. But they said, well, let's take cancer patients. And instead of, you know, because, you, again, you couldn't do the magical combination of my tunnel of light experience. So they said, let's take terminal cancer patients and give them three grams of psilocybin. So let's create a something comparable as far as an experience of ecstasis stepping outside themselves. And they had benefits that persisted six months to four, four years as far as most significant experience in my life, overall efficacy, well-being, et cetera. Same thing happened with PTSD with veterans and flow states. So they did vet, you know, veterans coming off combat situations and putting them in surfing situations in the ocean. And their flow state experiences were rem- almost lockstep comparable as far as the results and efficacy. So it appears that it's not that, and of course, you, you can't camp out indefinitely in altered states. That would be schizophrenia, right? Or addiction sure, or sure. delusion. What, what matters, and this is correlated with what we saw with Olympic athletes and Red Bull athletes, is it's not that there's a singular zip code in consciousness that is the ideal one to be in. Mm. It's range. It's like the, it's like the suspension on a, on a motorbike. Right? You want travel to be able to absorb shocks and then extend. If it just took one and was done, then that's not very useful. Right. So what we want is versatility. We want the ability to be highly integrated and focused in our waking state with our responsibilities, our roles, our commitments, our obligations. And we absolutely need the ability to set that down for a while mm. and to be able to step out of it and experience expansiveness, information, inspiration, right? the silence and the quiet. And then get back in, right? So our monkey suits, right? Our, our roles, our identities, my, my work, my job, my name. Yes. Um, as long as we realize there's a zipper to those damn things, then we can put them back on and off, right? We don't right, need right. to go streaking down the street like Will Ferrell in old school, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know? But, there, but there's, there's, there's such, such relief. It's like Atlas Shrugged, right? But he's going to shrug for a little while, get the kinks out. He can pick yeah. the well back up again if he just has that moment. Yeah, you need the you need the weekend yeah. to to be productive during your week. I mean, a, yeah. a very basic uh, analogy, but yeah, I get it. Like no, and, and 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 to that point, I mean, what we what we talk about is hedonic calendaring, which mm-hmm. is really how do you how do you pace your pleasure? Mm-hmm. Because when you get really good at it, right, the first thing is like I'd like more of that, please, and then people go off the rails. Yes, right. So it's why there have been orthodox right hand paths: thou shalt, thou shalt not, because they had mm-hmm. to like they had to write the write the rules for the masses for the lowest common denominator. But there's a left hand path which just says work with everything, 
right? And arguably, ecstatic states is left-hand path all the way. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, mm. right? And the reason they get persecuted, vilified, is because they're the fastest route with the lowest success rate, right? So you could, but if you, if you calendar it, there's a really elegant way to do it, which is you say, here's my daily practices, What's, what's basically just 100% wholesome and good for me, I do it every day. And that's the gratitude, that's the rest, that's the movement, the meditation, all that kind of stuff. Then there's a weekly, make it a Sabbath practice. That's a little bit of a blow out the pipes. Let, let me touch, right, that those really good feelings. Mm. And then once a month, once a season, once a year, and once a year is blowouts. That's your trip to a Peruvian shaman or your visit to Burning Man or your going and, you know, a 100-mile ultramarathon that, you know, takes a month to recover from. Right? You can do it a thousand different ways. And then the game is if it starts getting too hot, right? Because well, that's what happens. You're like, first of all, we're like, I don't think this could really happen. And you're like, oh no, shit, it can happen. This is, totally, <laughs> this is very doable. So then you're like, I don't freak out and be like, oh, I gotta stop everything. You're just like, just move it to the right. Yes. That's the game. So you get to play with still some strictures. And then we would just add in, how do you know if you're kidding yourself? Because you don't. Because right, you're shifting your neurochemistry, so you're going to buy whatever story you're telling. Right. So you have periods of abs- enforced absence, like Lent is a great example. Mm. Yom Kippur is another one, right? But I mean, make use of cultural ones, or sign up for your own, and have a minimum of four to six weeks cold turkey on all your vices, indulgences, and mm. pleasure seeking, and, and just observe how itchy. How sticky is this? Foul of the field, so to speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you can come back to it and be like, okay, now I know my relationship with this again. Yes. Yeah. What, for people who have, I mean, I, I love, I'm fascinated by what you're talking about. I can't actually <laughs> wait to read this book. Uh, but for people who, who have challenges in the self-discipline or the self-awareness, yeah. right? Because inherently, like you're, if you're talking about ecstatic states, oftentimes mm-hmm. it leads to beyond the rational mind, right? So, oh, for sure. so therefore, um, without, you know, how do you prevent yourself from going too deep down the rabbit hole? I'm guessing, is there, is there an, do you find that there's, whether it be accountability in terms of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a friend, uh, a close, you know, some, someone, a journey partner, so to speak, are yeah. there, are there ways in which you can sort of check without being, without being overly measured mm-hmm. to make sure that you're on the path? If, yeah. if you do have kind of a more prescriptive, cause mm-hmm. it sounds like what you're talking about is almost, this, this sweet spot in, in the tension between yeah. flow, freedom, total release, yep. and the structure necessary yes. to keep that actually in a healthy place. Absolutely. It's full-on middle path, and it's the idea of like liberating structures. So yes. the structures are it's like training wheels on a bike. Like they're there when you need them, but they're not the moment you have liftoff. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I would say practice partners are essential. I mean, you don't, it's, it's a whole nother ball of wax to go into the mountains or to go into the oceans in big conditions by yourself. So friends, swim buddies, training partners, um, you know, romantic partners. I mean, Mm. quite, you know, many of the most transformative relationships I'm aware of, whether that's Aldous and Laura Huxley, or whether it's Alex and Alison Gray, or Sasha and Ann Shulgin, right? Mm. They they were dyads. Um, They went, or John Lilly and his wife, right? I mean, the folks that have gone some of the furthest expanses in the last, you know, half century did it together, did it as part of couples. And the ones that haven't, didn't all come back in one piece. Yeah. yeah. A friend of mine said it actually in a, in a slightly different way, and I, and I love that you actually drew out examples, but he said there are no single presidents. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it, 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 it's true, yeah. uh, because it, you know, to operate at that you know, level, mm-hmm. whatever presidential is for you, you know, there's got to be a great, there's be a great um, 
consort. You know, there, yeah. there has to be that. that yeah, part. and the grounding and balancing element. I mean, the, the analogy that always comes to mind for me is it's, it's like freehold breath diving, where those divers go as deep as they can as the ocean just on a breath in those scuba tanks, and they, you know, they sort of, and they see how far they can go. Mm-hmm. And once you realize that ecstatic states give you access to kind of the in, infinite information layer, like it's just as big as it goes. You're like, it's t- fractal turtles all the way down, man. So it's, you can lose yourself in it. And the same way that divers would experience like nitrogen narcosis, mm-hmm. and they get and, you know the stories where the, the mermaids lured them into the deeps. You know right. they they got all Sound they got all song. they got high and blown out, and then got so entranced that they just forget to come back, mm-hmm. right? And so and that's the paradox because with the divers, like if I wuss out and I come back too soon, I'm like, damn it, there was there was more goods down there. Right. I could have gone a little further, but if you go too far and you can't get back to air and sunlight. Game over. Mm. It doesn't matter what you saw down there. Mm. <laughs> right? So that idea of like, it's infinite. It's infinitely infinite. So wrap your head around that first. And then say, the only, I can only go as half as far as I can hold my breath. Yes. You know, Ed Weister's the, the famous Himalayan mountaineer, had a great line. He said, he says, summiting is optional. Getting home is mandatory. Mm. Beautifully said. Yeah. As we sort of look to wrap up, I have just a couple more questions. One of which is, if you were to say, give three resources, whether that be your, you know, a book. Like if you, if you, mm-hmm. you know, God willing, you wind up on an island with absolutely phenomenal windsurfing and, <laughs> and in the mountains somewhere, soft powder, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you find that that place where flow is induced uh, on the ready. Uh-huh. Um, what three things are you bringing with you and or if you could only, you know, if, if all data was going to be wiped out and you mm-hmm. could share nothing else, what three, whether it be books or individuals or, or, or a quote or, or a mixture of the, th- of, of the three, what, what would you recommend for people to tap into to, to delve deeper into this topic? Huh. Okay. Good question. I would say, so, so now you've given me a variety of choices. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I would say probably I love that, that uh, Tom Robbins book, Jitterbug Perfume, mm. which is all about the bandaloops, this Himalayan, like they, they, they have hot baths and gymnastics and live forever. So that's, a, I think, as far as like a, a fictional great tale of what this is all about, I love that. Um, as far as music, probably the Led Zeppelin's Zeppelin Three Side B. Which, they, which I didn't, re- I mean, it's, it's sublime and so distinct from anything else, and I didn't realize until I was reading a Rolling Stone article, they actually recorded it in a cottage in the Cotswolds in the summer. So they got like full-on like hippie druid. They got their, <laughs> they got their game on, and that's what came out. So, yeah. so Zeppelin three side B, and then probably the quote uh, from the Talmud, which, which I, I heard it, and it like, gave me goosebumps the first time, which is, we are not expected to finish the work, nor are we excused from it. That's amazing. Um, I'm tempted to end there, but actually you just evoked one more question, which is, and this will be the final question for now, but it's in two parts. <laughs> if you were to write a letter to yourself okay. 15 years ago, ago, okay, what counsel would you, would you give yourself in terms of the next 15 years. Yeah, like that in the 15 I've just lived. Correct. Okay. And second part of that is, if you were to be writing that letter to yourself 15 years from now, what, what, what do you hope will have been achieved? 
Okay, interesting. Wow. Okay, so for 15 years ago, I would say wake up, pay attention, love your son, who's now who turned 17 today. Oh, happy right. birthday. What's his name? Lucas. Happy birthday, Lucas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, love your son and do the work. Beautiful. Absolutely. Mm. Constant kick in the ass. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. And 15 years from now? Okay, so this is me now teleporting yeah. a letter into the future that I'm going to read then? Yeah, Lucas is now 32. Wow. Okay. Um, spoil your grandkids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no better revenge. Um, goodness gracious, I would say, let's think. Um, it's a bit of the legacy question, right? Like you're on, I mean, you're, you're not going to be near your deathbed uh, by any means in 15 years. You have a lot more life to live, but what do you really keep hope moving, to do? Like, keep yeah. moving, keep writing. Um, yeah, and, and love your grandchildren. I mean, I said, it, like, from, from another angle as well, which is, like, legacy and family and that really being everything. I couldn't agree more. In that spirit, I, I think uh, it's time to let you get back to Lucas. I'm yeah. so honored that you took a little time to, to be with us today, uh, and yeah, I'm, I greatly appreciate it, and I'm really looking forward to next time. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jamie Wheel. I really love the conversation. I think that the topic of flow is, is one that's fascinating me the most at the moment and really delving into the practices and people that can help support me and in tune us through the podcast with those insights that can facilitate flow. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I love the distinction around growth mindset. Um, one of the best books you can read uh, with Carol Zwick is around this notion of growth mindset. I'm always eager to learn and to grow. And we now know that neuroplasticity is with us throughout our lives. It was once thought, obviously, that the brain was fixed. That is not true. So here's to your peak mind. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and uh, let us know what you thought. Leave a comment uh, with your feedback um, around what we're doing right. If you have any uh, constructive uh, critiques, that's always welcome. Michael at peakmind.org. My vision is to make this as valuable for you as possible. And go ahead and uh, tag uh, myself and Jamie wheel um, with any pictures of where you're listening to this episode on Instagram or go ahead and go ahead and give us a shout out on Twitter. Um, I always love hearing your feedback and it's my vision to make this as valuable for our community as possible. So thank you so much for listening. And with that, please go out and live your inspired life.